today we got Dylan Burkhart from UM Hoops. Dylan, I really appreciate you taking the time coming on Talk Michigan today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's get right into it. Um, we'll start with the first game. I don't want to jinx it, but I'm kind of overlooking it. Is there anything to be scared about Mount St. Mary's or uh, what is it? I can't even remember the other one. Texas Southern. Texas Southern. See, there you go. Is there <laughs> anything to be to worry about with this game? I don't I don't think so. They're the two worst teams in the field, according to Ken Palm. So I, I, short prep, whatever else. But they're very different teams, so maybe harder to prep for depending on who wins one way or the other. But I don't see it really as – I feel like my brand is kind of just hyping up these first round matchups to be good regardless. I've done the same thing with Montana two years in a row. So yeah. I can't even really do that for this game. No, that's good. I mean, I think, Mich- I think everyone's probably overlooking it. Everyone's scared because of what happened to Virginia, but it's not going to be really big of an issue. I am curious with LSU and St. Bonaventure. I've watched a little bit of them, some of the St. Bonaventure game. I just don't know. I don't know who's going to come out of that. But let's start with LSU, I guess. They have some talent. They have some guys that came into LSU high ranked. Um, the one thing I'm curious about is uh, what is the, the big guy's name? Waterfed or something like that? Watford. Watford. Can he, is there anybody to even match up with Hunter? This is who I'm looking at with every single team. Yeah, it's funny because like following this team through the Big Ten, they're so kind of bogged down with all these great bigs every week. But then yeah. if you look around the country, there's not really a lot of great bigs in every other league. Like if you take the top big men from the big 10, they're probably like six or seven of the top 10 bigs in the country. So I do think that's an interesting way to look at some of these early games is who on earth is going to guard Hunter Dickinson, because there's not a Kofi Coburn on most of these teams um, to just stand in his way. And if you think back when Hunter was playing really well, it was when he was going against teams first time through teams that don't have a lot of size and just kind of dominated those games. So I think that's, I don't see anyone on LSU's roster to really do that. I don't think LSU really cares about playing much defense either. So <laughs> I think it's more just going to be they're going to try to play a shootout with whoever they play and try to win 85-80 and see what happens. Is there anything on St. Bonaventure that you see? I don't. I see even less. Yeah, it, this is a funny matchup because it's one of those games where, like, you see LSU has dudes, right? They're all really – like, they're talented. Yeah. And on paper, you're like, man, this team should be amazing. Right. And, then they're an eight seed and you're like, well, how did we get here? Uh, so they play like, it just feels like a classic eight, nine game where St. Bonaventure is more of the complete team. They're going to control the game. They're going to slow it down, play defense. And then like, it's just kind of like what you think of, of an a 10 team that doesn't have an overwhelming amount of talent maybe, but it's just a really solid team all around. One thing I think uh, when you mentioned that, like LSU wants to just score, not really worry about defense, but Michigan's issues of late to me have been on the offensive end and kind of just looking around, seeing who's going to make plays, who's going to step up. So if Michigan comes around with one of those games where they start out slow again and just looking around, nobody really steps up, you know, you know, it's one game. LSU can just shoot them out of the gym. No problem. Like even if they're a lesser team. So what do you see as the point of attack for Michigan's offense going into the tournament? Yeah, I do think it's Hunter, like you said, and that's but that's really what it comes down to with some of these games. Like LSU on any given night, like they're the far more variable team, right? I don't think like they could just run you out of the gym in a half, and all of a sudden you don't know what happened really. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think the kind of the thing that I look back, like Big Ten teams all play pretty good transition defense, uh, and like it's not like you're going to get into some of these run and gun games you might see in the SEC. Like I don't know mm-hmm. if you watched any of that. 
Alabama LSU game, but they're basically just running up and down the court, firing up threes every eight seconds, right? You can't, you don't really play that way in the big 10. So I think that Michigan's ability to, even if they're not making all their shots, they're not going to just give up 25 points in transition in a game, right? Like they have that going for them, but it is a risk. Like if you just get into a shootout, uh, like, Without Isaiah Livers, you look at, oh, maybe you start to doubt yourself a little bit and get in an early hole. Yeah, definitely. It takes me back to when we played Tennessee. Uh, I was going to say like the same thing. And blew them out. And they were, like, so worried about playing to the style of the Big Ten and against our zone. And, like, they just forgot how to play basketball. So sometimes teams will just get into the game and just lose their minds. And they had all the talent in the world to beat us. And they just – I remember they are focusing so much on the one three one, and, you know, couple of days before the game, like me and Beeline and Zach were laughing, like we don't even play one, three, one. Like we did, couldn't even care less about playing that zone. We hate it, but it, we played it and they just looked at each other. So it, I guess it'll be interesting. I think one thing maybe Michigan can do with a team like that is create turnovers and, and guys like Sean D and Franz will be big in that area. Hunter as well. Um, so I, I'm interested though, with your perspective on losing livers and what you've seen in the past, couple games because livers was basically non-existent um you know the game that he played injured and then the last game they had a rough game offensively you know every game they've lost they've shot horribly from three where you know what what have you seen i guess from from that standpoint on with their offense because that's the only thing i'm really focused on yeah it it's funny because like isaiah had played poorly for three or four games there he just Mm -hmm. was like you could tell something wasn't really right and it turns out he had this stress injury, um, but it's different. Even if Isaiah is missing shots, him being on the court, even playing poorly has a very different effect on the defense, right? You're not going to, the other team didn't know he was hurt. So they're going to play him like he's Isaiah Livers shoots 45% from three and you can't just play off of him. Right. Um, yep. So I think the first time we really saw that was like the Maryland game. What happened was he didn't play. And then Michigan played with Sean D Brown because they're in the middle of a game. He's the guy who knows, what's going on. Um, and I thought offensively that group looked pretty good. They played for a pretty long stretch there in the second half. Um, Phil Martelli just was actually running the team at that point and rode with him in that spot. Um, I think Johns came in for like two possessions and then sat back down. So it looked good there. And then I think in the Ohio state game, you saw, okay, this is what a team can do when they're going into a game, knowing that Michigan maybe won't have another shooter at the four. Um, because that's really what Isaiah does is creates a huge mismatch for every team, right? You have to decide, are we going to play a guard there and try to bother him? Are we going to have a complete mismatch when we have a bigger forward trying to guard him? Um, And Livers has really done well against those. When John's there, if you look at, if you watch the Ohio State game, they would put Justin Arns on John's. They would put um, all, they would, it was basically their spot to hide someone or cheat off. And that makes it really hard to run offense. And I think that's the risk, right? Like Johns was productive and he can do some different things, but over a game prep where people kind of know what you're doing, I think it does create some spacing issues for Michigan's offense, just because of how you get to that spacing with a guy who maybe you don't trust to hit a lot of threes, right? Like if you're going against Michigan, I'm going to say Brandon Johns hit four threes and try to beat us because I will take those odds. So I think that's the biggest issue. I mean, I think, yeah, John's is a huge key for Michigan right now. And even if it's just four baskets, you know, efficient, mm-hmm. four for five or something like that. There was one drive I saw of Maryland. He took it baseline. 
And I was like, yeah, that's a high level drive. Like this is what Brandon Johns is capable of doing. And then the next game against Ohio state. And I was actually at the game and he's catching it. He caught one from 15 feet, very capable of shooting from there. Pretty open. Could have gotten off very easily and then just hesitated. And I'm like, I understand that he's had this role all year, but is he a guy that has to step up or can he just play within himself, get those four or five baskets and play baskets and play smart? Yeah. It, I think Shondi Brown has the same problem where he had a very specific role all season, but I think once someone's out, whether it's Eli was out earlier or Isaiah's out, I think he feels kind of a little pressure to just based on how he plays. It seems like he feels a little pressure to maybe try to do a little more, right. To play more like maybe he played at Wake Forest when he had a larger role, kind Mm -hmm. of try to create his own shot more. And I don't know that Michigan needs either of those guys to, like be a creator. They need them to just do what they do and just let Franz create more, let Hunter Dickinson create more. It's that's where you can shift some of that playmaking. Um, so I do think it's key to figure out you're not Isaiah livers, just be yourself in those moments and then play differently based on if it's John's on the court, if it's Shondi Brown on the court, Terrence Williams. So it, it's a balance. The tricky part is they haven't, they're not on film playing like this. So teams aren't really going to know what to expect, but they Mm -hmm. also just haven't had reps playing like this. Like these lineups, it's not like they were sometimes lineups. They just didn't play with these lineups all season. So I think that's going to be really interesting. Like how much you can figure out and not a lot of time. I think kind of the same goes with Mike Smith where he's realizing now, okay, maybe I got to go back to some of the Columbia days, even though he's distributing more than he did back then or last year with them. But I feel like him, Sean D's not afraid. Sean D's never been afraid of anybody or anything. Mm-hmm. But Mike, if Franz isn't going to step up, Mike's already ha- has the ball a lot. And they seem to start the offense through him. They don't go super fast in some possessions. And then they kind of get a little stagnant. And then Mike just has the ball. I think Mike is realizing that. I hope he carries it over. I, I just kind of, I'm hoping Franz picks it up. But do you foresee more of the same Big Ten tournament style where Mike is really ball dominant? I I think the defensive plan against Michigan, especially um, even with when Isaiah Livers was in the team, is that like Mike Smith wants to pass. And if you're going to let him pass to pros, you're going to probably lose. So yeah. your best bet is to try to do everything you can to make him be a scorer. Right. Uh, and he he can like the Maryland game. He had that great game and he's capable of scoring in those spots. But I just think that's what teams are going to sell out to do defensively. Um and if they're able to take away, like if Mike can get downhill and find other people, it's basically game over and Michigan's offense is going to be fine. If you can shut down everything else and make him score one-on-one, you might have a chance and it's going to be a little more of a variable situation, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's so many guys in this team that I think can step up at certain points. Like even Brooks can get in there and make some great shots in the paint and create a little bit even but who do you see as the key player that needs to step up because somebody's going to need to step up more offensively. And is it not Franz? I I think it's Hunter. I I really think think like if you go back and look at what could really change for this team, kind of find a new life, it would be getting back to him just going for 20 points and just really controlling a game inside. Uh, We saw that for weeks early in the season and, it's just a different world. I think like you've, you've played in the NCAA tournament, played in the big 10. I, I wouldn't say like games are officiated much closer. I would say in the tournament to an extent. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that could really help Hunter after just what he's kind of been through these last month of just banging against some of these big 10 defenses. Yeah. 
Yeah, that is true. I think he can feast. Every time I see him, like he goes out like the 13 minute mark, 12 minute mark. And then the, the, the second string guy for the other team comes in like, damn, I wish he would stay in. Cause that's like three easy buckets right there. Or some type of creation. I I'm hoping he is that kind of guy though, where he's very determined. He's always fired up. I and mean, anybody in front of him, I mean, maybe, maybe Kofi, the other guys in the big 10, maybe give him a little scare, but I feel like he's going to come into this game, just ready to completely eat anybody alive, but we'll see. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. I, it, that's just that seems like all of a sudden people are going to be like man remember we were talking about Hunter Dickinson just dominating games and we haven't really seen that for two or three weeks um I think a week off probably helps just kind of rest the legs they were playing what every three games three days basically so that's that's where I would look for what could change um just based on the circumstances yeah and, and right before we started this recording speaking of Hunter there was a uh, you know Hunter had the now infamous tweet for the week <laughs> where he's saying you know, what do you say? Like heck of a meal from the NCAA and it's like impeccable. cold potatoes. What? Impeccable breakfast. Impeccable breakfast. That. Yeah. And uh, somebody came out with, I think Theo Mackey just came out with an article and, and a little write up. And basically Hunter came back and said, well, Juwan told us that we just got to suck it up and, you know, accept it and move on. So you won't hear from this, hear the anything about this from me any, anymore. But, you know, how is the bubble life? Have you heard anything else? It's got to be kind of miserable at times. I mean, the other thing Hunter said was that he hasn't been outside since Sunday. So that's interesting. I think yeah. I saw a video. Um, some players are like, I think they're letting them have basically like recess in the baseball field. Like I saw a video of Texas players playing kickball, like in the middle of uh, whatever the baseball field is there. So that's good. I, it's just a weird situation. I, I really think, though, it masks just what a weird situation it's been for a lot of these kids all year. Right. It's not really what anyone signed up for to come play college basketball and sit in your apartment all the time and basically quarantine yourself. So I think it gets more publicity now. It's probably more extreme, but at this point, I think a lot, like a lot of these kids are used to it by this point. And I mean, they had to do this similar thing when they shut down for two weeks. Right. So it's not new really to anyone. It's just a tough spot all around. Well, I mean, when you're at the NCAA tournament, just the whole scale of it becomes obvious too. Like you're in this made for TV setting, right. And you're just sitting there in your hotel room and then the lights come on and you go play a game for two hours and then you go back. It's just like a weird environment all to begin with. So I, it just magnifies all of those weird inconsistencies that are especially notable when you're in the environment. Yeah. It it definitely exacerbates like the whole myth, like feeling around like college hoops for people. I was like, man, I bet you had the most fun on campus. And but I'm like, if I went out, it was very rarely we had, you know, everything was monitored. Like these guys are used to it at least. And I think maybe that, that, that month where they were off is a good test for them and they're kind of used to it. Um, and this team seems to be focused at least. Mm-hmm. I think it's more of just a confidence issue. And I don't think the focus is going to be an issue there. Um, so it'll be it'll be fun to watch but it does I get tossed up because it's like yeah this is a billion dollar business and you got cold potatoes and eggs but at the same time it's like well you know the hotel workers are stretched to the max they got to deal with all these kids and all these people so it's like just a strange situation where yeah just accept it and move on but I I don't know I I like cold potatoes I don't know about you (sighs) the eggs were looking rough in that picture I I also think that uh 
those were just like I think the meal situation changed. It was just the first two days. I think they had like a stricter quarantine where it was like a hard quarantine when they do their first round of testing, and then the teams can bring their own food in after the fact. So I don't think they're eating that the whole the whole week in the tournament. It's just one of those weird spots where I, I don't really know what else you can do. And I mean, it's even worse for these Big Ten teams that have been in Indianapolis since last week and they just hung around, right? So yeah, it's a long a long time in a hotel. No, for sure. I want to talk to you more about the tournament as a whole. And I'll start with the East region. Like, do you see this as a very tough region? I see this as a very wild region where like so many different things could happen. I see Colorado as a really good option to come out of the East for whatever reason. Um, you know, all these one seeds throughout the tournament are kind of up and down all year. There's teams ranked in the sec- or exceeded two and three that historically would never be. So like, what do you see in the East? like potential potential candidates coming out of there. I got to pull up a bracket here. I didn't know we're going through the whole, uh, <laughs> I put you on the spot, the whole, the whole tournament. You're putting me on the spot. I know. Otherwise I wouldn't be asking this, but I've been like filling out brackets and looking at it and dissecting it. Like I know what I'm talking about. So I was like, <laughs> this is like the only time that I'll ever know anything about the East region. I, I don't think there's a team in the East, like just talking about Michigan's path. I think, there's not a team that you'd say like, wow, Michigan's not going to be favored against, right? Even without Isaiah. So I do think it's a little bit like, do you really trust Alabama? Do you really trust Texas? Do you really trust Florida state? Like I like Florida state. Uh, I, I think they're probably should be better than they've been all season though. So mm-hmm. it's hard to get really excited about them as a team. And the ACC's just kind of been down all year. So what do you really make of that? Uh, I, I don't think there's anyone that you're like, man, I'm penciling him into the final four, especially when you add in the livers injury for Michigan, it just kind of puts the whole bracket as a toss up. Um, Alabama plays an extreme style. I don't know how that'll really work. They haven't really been in the NCAA tournament playing this way. So tough to really say, you could see a lot of, I could see a lower seeded team making it out of this region though, for sure. I want to talk to you about UM hoops and, where you started it and how you started it. You started it, you said like 08, 09. Where did you get this idea? Because I want to get into some of the things because we, we pay attention to it. So I'm curious of like where that all started from. Um, So way back. So I had like started websites and stuff a lot when I was a kid. Um, I was a sophomore, ju- sophomore at Michigan, I think, um, when I started it. And so basically just threw it up there because basically I thought there wasn't really a lot of Michigan basketball coverage out there to begin with, especially like particularly insightful Michigan basketball coverage. Um, So that was kind of the idea behind it. Uh, Then it sort of just grew from there and became this weird thing where everyone was trying to like figure out who on earth I was. And it just, that kind of went sideways from there. No, I, I, I mean, I'll never forget the top five plays and going after the game, checking (laughs) you hoops. Like, did I make it? When I thought I had a top five play, I didn't make it. Like, come on, Dylan, what the hell are you doing, man? I, this is a hell of a play. And then sometimes you put me on there too much, and I'm like, but you were fair. It was fair and balanced and just a very different perspective. I love the video breakdown. It was, like, way ahead of the time. You see that way more often now. Um, the best five key like plays started, ever. What? The best five key plays video ever was Zach Novak trying to take five charges in a game and falling out. That's the all-time one. I tried to go um, back and look at some, but they, they're like wiped from the site or something. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's been a long time, but yeah, yeah I, I don't know how those are all holding up. I probably got wiped off YouTube or something like that. But uh, if you, if funny. you ask Zach, it's still like the, 
most angry he's ever been on a basketball court. I think I'll never forget like the fifth one or the fourth and fifth one. He takes a charge to call block, smacks the floor. You like can, I think he's going to break his hands. <laughs> you can really hear his reactions and all those, like it's not even an empty arena like it is this year. And you could just hear him yelling after every call. It was, it was too intense. I totally forgot that you put all five of those in five <laughs> gate plays. That's one of the funniest things. <sighs> did you know, did you know that we were looking at it? Um, I, I didn't think that you would, I figured you'd have something better to do after a game than log on and see if you made five key plays, but that's how bored not. we were. Yeah. Apparently. No, no, it was a lot of fun. I, I loved all of the breakdowns and yeah, it was honest too, which I always appreciated because it was easy to be, it's hard to get in those positions where you're analyzing the team and you went there and like trying to be fair and balanced. Like, did you ever have any encounters with beeline or maybe you like stepped out of line with a question or, or, or what have you with that? No, for a while beeline was just wondering who the hell I was and how I would like find stuff out. Cause like that was before I think like social media was real big and yeah. I would find out different things about recruiting or whatever else. And he would get, he would, that was where he was always worried. Like this game, be like, what's going on? Like, how do people know this? And so all that, that was like the early way. And then I don't, I don't think we never really had a problem. Like, I feel like I, it's not like I was just like ripping people or like no, no. criticizing people in any way. So that, I didn't really have any issues with that. Try to just give, figure like if it's an honest opinion, I don't think any, like, it's not like anyone was ever like irate that I, said something bad about their kid or whatever else but i don't know he i mean some of the message boards they're they're pretty clean but did beeline ever he never like contact you directly and be like what the hell dylan like how did you know this yeah that that happened about so like this was like early when i started the site like before i had a credential or anything or would like actually go to games and he basically tried to hunt me down and like no one really knew who i was and set up this whole thing and basically he just wanted to not have misinformation about their recruiting. He was very worried about it. And that was really what got him the most involved at the time. Uh, but then he would comment on other things here and there, but nothing too crazy. I don't think there was ever anything like take this down or anything like that. Yeah. Nothing to it. But that, did that make you tighten up when he contacted you? Like, okay, now I gotta make sure this is all correct. Yeah. I mean, and it wasn't even like a big thing. And he was just no, very, course. he was very worried about it. Like someone that said it had an offer or something else. And I, it was a whole thing. Uh, that, that was, that would have been probably way back. And if that there's not like even recruiting coverage, there wasn't like all this sort of edits and everything else people out there is much more limited. So I think that that's all I can really remember. Um, as far as that goes like we said you started like 0809 so you've been covering the whole rise of the Michigan program and towards the end and I'm curious to if you have a perspective on the difference between Juwan and Beeline and whether it's you know handling media or just in general yeah it's funny because like Beeline when you were there and Beeline by the end of his time I think was very different with how he handled the media it's just sort of maybe realizing there's sort of just more that he had to do and looked at it more as a tool or an asset or like just part, like he played the game more, I think just in terms of like when you're that, when you get to a final four, like all the media is just, everything's different. And I think from that point, it sort of shifted his approach. Cause before I'd say he was very, like, he wouldn't really say anything and was basically just very by the book, keep it closed, 
done like you have to do media do it and move on and pretty like paranoid almost to an extent later i'm sure he still had some of that but i don't feel like it was as notable uh juan i i feel like beeline would also share a lot more in his post-game press conference about sort of the intricacies of the game like the x's and o's of what happened a little bit of his strategy um juan's usually pretty much along the lines of i'm not going to tell you because they'll watch the press conference and they'll use it against me right so that's kind of what he answers to any specific question about what happens um so that's a little like matt painter's really good talking about the game i think in his press conferences juan probably would be if he knew it wasn't going to be listened to by everyone else but he kind of keeps that to himself um so not, I wouldn't say Jawan's particularly excited to log on to media Zoom calls to talk about the team, but it is yeah. what it is, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I imagine he'll just get more and more comfortable as the years go along with that. I mean, I can, I can only imagine like how much pressure he feels like he's been getting all these awards, but at the same time, that, com- that comes with a lot of pressure and now they're like a number one seed and they're losing livers. So I can understand why he would tighten up a little bit. But to your point with Beeline, I always laugh because I was watching the 2013 Final Four from Spain and just being like, who is this guy? Why is he so relaxed on the sideline? And I'm like, oh, yeah, look who's on the court. All like NBA guys. I'm like, okay, now it makes sense. Like once you you build that program up, you get that success, you can start to relax and just trust things. So I think maybe, I don't know, maybe Juwan is not quite in that position to fully trust, which I understand is only second year and you got a lot of pressure on your back. Yeah, I also think there's sort of a dynamic where coaches who have been in college for a long time, like really buy into like, it's almost like they're salesmen when they're in their press conferences and they're kind of creating this image or brand of themselves. And like, to be honest, Juwan doesn't even need to, right? So he doesn't yeah. need that, that he, his brand speaks for itself to begin with. Whereas a lot of guys, especially like career coaches who kind of come up, they're like, I'm going to use this to paint myself as X, Y, and Z. And it's just a different whole stick to how they embrace some of those situations and i think that is just i don't i think Jawan's far too comfortable in skin to have to worry about doing any of that to no yeah sell himself for sure and i love he gets very comfortable on the court i mean you see you saw the argument mm-hmm. early in the year with livers that was really nothing to them it's it is nothing the blow up with turgeon you know he lets his passion come out so it is there so it's funny to hear He's, him like answer questions you're like all right, just give it time. But like he is, he he did uh, when he got asked after the first Michigan State game. Basically, someone asked him uh, if he if if they would still take the second game seriously or something like that. Not <laughs> so along those lines, right? And he so he 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 started with shit, and then he got and then he's like, oh, I almost got out of character for a second, and then he came back and said it's very important. So he clearly has this like he clearly is putting on a front of just how he wants to present himself to the media. It's something he does. It's just like a 15 minutes of his day. It's not really who Juwan Howard is, I would say. No, and I think it's a very, stretch. yeah, it's a very college thing. It's also a very Michigan thing where there's like Michigan man acts this way and is nice and polite and, you know, doesn't speak out of line and blah, blah, blah. blah. And it's like, it's kind of, it's that whole Michigan man thing is great and it's great for the culture, but it's dying dying out it's just a dying sort of cultural thing because you got to let these kids come in and be themselves basically yeah and i think i would say beeline probably pushed that 
pretty hard as far as how you present yourself in the media and everything else. I'm sure that was, and I'm sure that still is a thing. It's just, I do think that as things shift, right, players are going to have more incentive to build their own brands and maybe not just be Michigan player number one's brand and be their own selves. And I think that will be interesting how that changes from a media perspective where maybe players deserve to have a little bit more of how they want to portray themselves. Yeah, it's interesting, especially with Howard coming from the NBA and guys do that, you know, tenfold compared to college. So Howard's recruiting class, the McDonald's All-Americans, I'm interested to see how he handles that, he lets those guys be themselves and have their brand while also, you know, you're still teaching an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid what the hell to do on the court because they really don't understand it. So it is a different balance for college. Like, it's, it is easy to say, yeah, let them be themselves but it's also like these are 18 19 year old kids that really don't know shit so it's not the easiest job in the world yeah and you have to be yourself but it's be in a position to be coached into presenting yourself how you want to present yourself not just how someone else thinks you should present yourself that's kind of how i'd say it right like yeah i i think isaiah livers has really done a good job this year speaking his mind when it the time is right and in a way that maybe you wouldn't have seen someone do in media availabilities 10 years ago at Michigan. So I think like there's stuff like that where um, I don't know, just things, you know, it's also just weird that every press conference for the last year has been over zoom, right? It's very different to see someone like hunched over a computer and talking about whatever happened in the game than in the heat of the moment sitting in front of you. So it's just a different environment all around. I asked Brendan Quinn um, something on this same subject, but how have you felt not being able to get close to the players and have that sort of face-to-face contact where that trust can be broken over a zoom call when you're asking a question. Yeah. This, I mean, the zoom calls are not particularly useful. I would say um, they are, I mean, it's the whole world is dealing with it. So it's yeah. not like it's unique to college basketball, but I'd say um, it's different being like from part of me, like I do a lot like analyzing the game and watching it live and writing a recap It's way easier to do that on TV. Um, especially with where we sit at Chrysler, right? Like being at a game is a lot harder from that perspective. Um, As far as the media access, it's definitely different. I think the postseason is probably the most dramatic shift, right? Like, um, because you're going from open locker room and like really being able to talk to multiple people and read the room to like in the regular season, you're still just getting the same number of players kind of put out in a room. It's a little different. Whereas in the postseason, you really see, I think you get a better sense for the mood of a team that kind of where everything's going in a way that you just won't get. Now we get one player over zoom. It's just very different. Uh, so I think it'll be very noticeable in the postseason, just how much less access all around there is. Yeah. That's a good point. Cause it is a lot more hyped up and people pay way more attention nationally. I'm curious of who, who on this team, I don't want to use the word favorite, I guess maybe most interest introspective or, you know, really, takes their time with answers and not giving you, you know, the corporate lines, who's been someone that you really enjoyed interviewing, I guess, let's say the last two years, because Zoom has been tough. So it's like a couple of the last two years. Even. Yeah, I think Isaiah has been the most sort of thoughtful quote on the team for the last two years. Um, Hunter Dickens is probably the most uh, tweet worthy quote. He, he knows how to come up with uh, the one liners and stuff like that. And he's mm-hmm. obviously a very confident guy, but Isaiah, I would say it's probably the most, kind of thoughtful and will actually like speak his mind on things. Franz seems like the type of guy who's just going to keep, you know, reserved like a, like a Juwan type guy who's like, all right, there's myself outside of here. And then this is who I'm going to portray here. 
Yeah, it front, it's it's funny because Mo is not that. Yeah, right? that's so nice. it's it's funny to see. Uh, I think you'll see this, Franz will kind of stick to his script. He'll say what he's going to say, but he's kind of has a dry sense of humor where he'll say something and he'll kind of laugh when it's just like, <laughs> like he's like, "What are we doing here?" Point yeah. something out that like, like someone asks him like, "How does it feel to not be?" scoring as many points or something like that and he'll be like well we're winning or whatever else like it's not really what i'm worried about and just a very dry matter of fact way that works for him i think but it, it's just funny to see the difference between him and mo with how they handle that stuff yeah is, is mo in your uh, top five interviewer interviewees he has to be he has to be up there i would say for sure i'm trying to think of other guys that like mo's been he's a very unique character for any program but i think for michigan for sure stauskis maybe Stauskas was good. Yeah. Stauskas had the call himself the best three point shooter in the country, like five games into his freshman year. <laughs> that was always yeah. a good one. That takes some balls. That is for sure. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would say those too. We tried, but you know, we got buttoned up pretty well and didn't have quite the confidence of a Mo or a Stauskas. So it's not easy. Yeah. You, you, you were more, uh, we're just going to come in flying from the hip and your your first media availability calling yourself uh, the best shooter in the country, huh? No, no, definitely not. I know one time that I pissed off Northwestern fans, you know, all 100 of them. <laughs> I told, I said that the arena was quiet and basically just all Michigan fans anyways. And I get to the game and like, I am <sighs> villain number one. And I'm like, the hell did I just do? Like, this is, I do the exact opposite, try and make sure the exact opposite happens. So even then, like, you could say anything and piss somebody off. Yeah. I want to talk about... Oh, go ahead. No, no, I don't want to cut you off. I was going to say, you can say anything and piss them off. That's why you got a podcast now. Exactly. Even then now, I'm like still trying to like not be too crazy. I'm like about to say something or like write something down for a question. I'm like, ah, I don't mm-hmm. want to piss some former player off or like get too into the weeds about some story. So... I don't know. I still try and walk that corporate line. I think Beeline has ingrained mm. that in me forever. <laughs> but I want to get to, before we end here, the college basketball guide that you just put out oh, yeah. before the tournament. I think it's cvbguide.com if you want to check it out. But kind of describe this whole project and, and how long it's taken because it's got to have been taking a long time. Yeah, so I so I uh, basically I took all the data and stats that I would look at to write a preview of a team and basically programmed it into a website, took every, so basically it shows you all the most important stats. It shows you the ones that matter for any game. You can type in any two teams in the tournament. It'll basically create a custom preview, just give you kind of a way like, oh, this team is great defending the rim. This team isn't. Um, Try to find matchup advantages along the way. Um, Hopefully fill out your bracket, whatever else. So just a quick, uh, it's $20 and has basically everything you need to kind of, get an edge on your bracket. Um, so check it out. Yeah. How, how long has this taken? Like how long has this been growing in your brain? So the problem is like, it was an idea I had in the summer when there wasn't really anything to do. And I thought about doing it maybe for something for the season. Obviously that date came and went, I was like, (laughs) okay, well I'll make an NCAA tournament thing. Well, selection Sunday sneaks up real quick and it's a pretty hard, hard stop to get done. So the last week was, a little rough to try to finish it along because all of a sudden stuff starts happening. You got big 10 tournament games every day. And so that it was a, it was a crunch at the end, I would say, but it was more just something I'd kind of had the bones of created and hadn't really turned into a final product. So the last, last month, not so great. Other than that, pretty good. 
That's what happens though. There's always setbacks. There's always things you got to deal with that are delays, something. And you on. have one week to sell the whole thing and it starts on one day that doesn't, you can't move, you can't move the launch date. So that, that became tricky. Yeah, no, I bet. How's that going to work going into next year? Like with the stats and everything and like starting over a brand new year. Uh, so I thought about doing it for like, is it something that would be useful? Like for the regular season of college basketball and something along those lines. Otherwise, I mean, the good part is it, the stats you can just update and then you can just improve on it. You don't have to build the whole thing again from scratch. So that's, that's kind of the beauty of the whole thing. Um, but hopefully get some feedback from people and try to make it a little better next year. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm interested to check it out. I am definitely going to buy it and look into it. I will be subscribing for sure. So you said 20 bucks, just go on cbbguide.com and just one one-time payment for it. Yep, just one time, and you get access to the whole thing. Um, basically, you have every game. There's some team pages that have kind of information about each team. You can see uh, sort of the trends of how they've been playing. You can see different stats, um, all different data in there. And then the previews have everything kind of tied up into one where you can compare teams. Gotcha. Yeah, super cool. It's surprised that something isn't – quite out there like this but again you were ahead of the time with the video <laughs> breakdown so you're way ahead of the game on a lot of things i think which i've always been impressed with i've always loved your stuff um but i really appreciate you coming on maybe we can have you on again i know you're a busy guy but hopefully michigan will keep going keep winning games and maybe next week we can talk again or sometime down the line but i really appreciate you, appreciate you coming on you can check out dylan on um hoops and again cbbguide.com so thank you, man. And uh, yeah, yeah, good luck with all with everything. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Talk to you later.